Well, good morning. We've been in a, sur- a summer series throughout the summer in the book of 1 John. Today's the last message in that series. I'd ask you to open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5, the last chapter of that book. 1 John chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 6 uh, through 13. First John chapter 5. I'm going to ask you just to pray with me before we get started. Would you do that? Father, I pray now that in the busyness of this day, that you would help us just to focus on you. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each of us. I pray, Father, that through your word that you would... Help us to understand who Jesus is and the decision that faces every one of us. And I pray that, Father, that somebody's life might be changed today as they say those two life-changing words, I believe. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray that. Amen. Josh McDowell was a 19-year-old college student who was on a desperate search to find happiness. Josh did not believe in God. He was an avowed atheist. And some of his college friends were Christians. And they challenged Josh to look into Christianity. And he refused. He told them again that he was an atheist. But they said that they found the answer to life in Jesus Christ. And so they challenged Josh to just investigate for himself and see what he would find. Josh said later, as he was describing this, he he said, and I quote, I figured every Christian had two brains. One was lost and the other was out looking for it. He just thought Christianity was for weak, simple-minded people. So he set out to prove to his college friends and to prove to the world, if he could, that Christianity was a hoax. However, in doing research for the project, Josh became overwhelmed by the historical evidence regarding Jesus. In fact, he looked at the evidence that that had so just piled up in front of him that as he looked at that evidence, he realized he would be a fool not to put his faith in Jesus Christ. So at 8.30, one December evening, he said those two words that changed his life. I believe. And that December evening, Josh McDowell became a Christian. The Lord he set out to disprove became a living reality in his life. That experience led Josh to write a book, a best-selling book on the historical evidence for Jesus. And the title of that book was and is, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Lee Strobel had a similar story. Lee Strobel was, again, an avowed atheist. His wife was an agnostic. Lee had, a, had training in, in law and in journalism. He was a very skeptical man, and Lee said, and I quote, I thought the idea of an all-loving, all-powerful creator of the universe was stupid. Lee's background in journalism and in law had trained him to be a skeptical person. He did not find believing something to be very easy. In fact, he needed evidence before he would believe anything. He was also the legal editor for the Chicago Tribune, and his background just made him look for evidence before he would believe anything. One day, Lee's agnostic wife came to him and said, Lee, I've gone through a time of spiritual investigation, and I've decided to become a follower of Jesus Christ. 
Lee said, I thought that was the worst news I could ever receive. Trying to disprove what his wife had now claimed as fact, Lee decided to do his own investigation into the credibility of Christianity. He did that for a year and nine months. For a year and nine months, he looked at it from a journalism perspective and from a lawyer's perspective. For a year and nine months, until November the 8th, 1991, And on November the 8th, 1991, as he looked at the evidence he had gathered, Lee said, I decided it would take more faith for me to maintain my atheism than it would be for me to become a Christian. So Lee became a follower of Christ that day. He too wrote a book about what he discovered. It was also a best-selling apologetic book called The Case for Christ. 1900 years before any of those books were written, a similar work was written. The Apostle John wrote the letter we call 1 John to present irrefutable evidence to prove that Jesus was and is the Son of God. John didn't write just to prove who Jesus was, but he wrote to show us how we can be sure that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. At the end of his letter, this is what John had to say. Skip down to verse 13. Here's how John kind of concluded the entire letter. I write these things to you, These things being the things he wrote in chapter 5 and the things he wrote in all five chapters. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John said, this is the reason I'm writing. This is the reason I've, I've set pen to paper. So that you may know that you have eternal life. How can you know that? How can anybody know that? I mean, for lots of you, perhaps your salvation is still a question mark. It's still something that you hope is true. It's something that you hope has happened to you. But how can you know that you have eternal life? John says, these things have I written so that you may know this. How do we know? I want to give you a couple of things to work through as we walk through this text. John says, here's how you can know. First of all, You need to know that the evidence for Jesus is indisputable. And he tells us that in verses 6 through 8. Look at what he says in verse 6. This is the one who came by water and blood, hyphen, pause, Jesus Christ. This is the one who came by water and blood, pause, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only but by water and blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. Now what in the world does all of that mean? Well, let's try to work through it and understand it. In John's day, let me remind you what I told you at the very first when we started through 1 John. In John's day, he was writing uh, in large part to answer a, a, a group of false teachers called Gnostics. And one of the heresies that the Gnostics were teaching was that Jesus was born an ordinary man. He became divine at His baptism, according to the Gnostics, because that's when the Spirit of God descended upon Him like a dove. And He continued to be the Son of God until the cross. The Gnostics said at the cross when He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's when divinity left Him. And He died like he was born, an ordinary man. 
And ladies and gentlemen, I want to make sure you understand that is heresy. Because Jesus Christ was not an ordinary man. He was the Son of God. And if He was simply an ordinary man when He was born, and an ordinary man when He died, He never could have paid for our sin. He never could have been the sacrifice for our sin. So John is writing and he says, there's three pieces of irrefutable evidence. There are three witnesses to show that Jesus is not an ordinary man, but He is the Son of God. And John says, here's the three witnesses. The first two he links together deliberately. The water and the blood. You look at it in verse 6. This is the one who came by water and blood. The reason those words are significant, first of all, the water refers to his baptism. The Gnostics, of course, talked about that's when he became divine. That's what the Gnostics believed. John says, all right, if you want to talk about his baptism, let me tell you something about that. That's a testimony as to who He is. Because when He came at His baptism, the Holy Spirit of God descended to testify as to who He is. He came by water and He also came by blood. And the blood refers to His death on the cross. That He he did not lose His divinity on the cross, but that was where God showed who He really was. The Son of God dying as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. And then to help you understand those two, He says, and there's a third witness... The third witness is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us understand the first two. Look what he says. He did not come by water only, second part of verse 6, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies. It's the Spirit who explains this to us. It's the Spirit who bears witness of this. Because the Spirit is what, church? The Spirit is what? It said, truth. For there are three that testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these and the three are in agreement. In the Old Testament, it was very clear what constituted an adequate witness. According to Deuteronomy 19.15, you don't have time to look it up, but I'll read it to you. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. A matter is not established as fact through one testimony, but according to Deuteronomy 19.15, if there are two witnesses, or better yet, three witnesses, that's what is required to establish something as fact. In verse 8, John emphasizes that there are three witnesses in regarding who Jesus is. And notice how he says they are in agreement. Verse 8, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. Now, the reason that's very, very important is because what John writes next in verse 9. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater. Because it is the testimony of God which He has given about His Son. For John the witness of the water and the blood and the Spirit settle the matter. And by the way, those three witnesses are still active today in case you didn't realize it. There is the witness of the water that we see when someone is baptized like you witnessed just a few moments ago when Jenny was baptized. That's that's the witness of the water that says Jesus Christ is still real. And I'm claiming Him as my Lord and Savior. That's the witness of the water. There's the witness of the blood. When we have the Lord's Supper together, we're remembering His death, His sacrifice. That's the witness of the blood. And then through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we show the world that Jesus Christ is real because He lives in us. That's the witness of the Spirit. And John says, these three witnesses show us that Jesus Christ is exactly who He claimed to be. 
It's the testimony, he says, of God, which he has given about his son. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the evidence for Jesus is indisputable. Then he said, in verses 10 through 13, but your decision about Jesus is unavoidable. Now, I don't know if you've heard anything I've said so far, but would you tune in for this? I want you to understand something today. Your decision about Jesus Christ is unavoidable. You'll have to decide one way or the other. It's unavoidable. John explains that to us in verses 10 through 13. Each person has to make a decision about Jesus based on the evidence. Sometimes people talk about taking a blind step of faith, a blind leap of faith to trust Christ. I want to tell you something. You don't have to take a blind leap of faith. There is evidence about Jesus that you can accept. You take the evidence, you, look, you examine the evidence, and you respond in faith. First, you have to decide, well, you've got to decide two things. First, you have to decide if you accept what God says about His Son. Are you going to accept the first intersection where you have to make a decision is, will I accept what God says about His Son? Look in verse 10. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. There's a contrast here in between those who believe what God says and those who don't. He introduces this contrast by stating in verse 9, we accept man's testimony. It's interesting. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which He has given about His Son. I want to show you that we accept man's testimony. See if, see if you've done this recently. You, you've turned on the television and you heard some story. Let, let's say it was about an earthquake in California. And then when you saw your spouse or you saw your child, you accepted what you heard and you told somebody about what you heard. Hey, did you hear about that earthquake? Now, were you there? Did you see it? No. But you accepted man's testimony. You, you heard about it, so you accepted man's testimony. You go to the doctor, and you say, Doctor, it hurts right here, and it hurts right here. And he says, Okay, this is what you've got. This is what you need. And he gives you a prescription. You go home, you take pills. You don't know what they are, but you accept man's testimony because he said this is what you need to make you better. Right? You watch the news, and the weather guy says, It'll be 95 today. Now, you don't know this guy from Adam. You've never met him. But he told you it's going to be 95 today, so you decided to wear a t-shirt and shorts because he said it's going to be 95 today. We accept man's testimony just about every day. In fact, we accept man's testimony. We watch people on the TV, and we believe what they say, and we've never met them. We don't know them from anybody, and yet we believe what they say. We accept man's testimony probably just about every day. But then we fail to accept the testimony of God. Could I ask you a very basic elementary question? Who do you think is more trustworthy? Somebody you don't know on television or God? Or let me make it a little more personal. Who do you think is more trustworthy? Somebody you do know or God? God. Yet we have this tendency to accept man's testimony and refuse the testimony of God about what he says about Jesus. John is very blunt when he says this. Look what he says in verse 10. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart Anyone who does not believe God 
has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his son. You know, I've thought about it over the years of people I've talked to and, the, and they, they refuse to believe who Jesus is. They refuse to believe the testimony of God. And, and a lot of people, I'm, I have decided, a lot of people reject what God says about Jesus, not because they're unable to believe, but because they are unwilling to believe. You see, there's two kinds of skeptics. There's the honest skeptic, and there's the phony skeptic. The honest skeptic will examine the evidence to determine what he believes is true or false. That's the honest skeptic. He'll, he'll look at the evidence, and then he'll make his decision. A phony skeptic doesn't want to look at the evidence because he's already decided ahead of time what he wants to believe. And if they believe in Jesus, for some people, if they believe in Jesus, it's going to interfere with their lifestyle. If they believe in Jesus, then, then they're going to have to perhaps respond to Him. They're going to have to maybe change something. If they believe in Jesus, they're going to have to let Him be in control. They're going to have to let Him be Lord. If they believe in Jesus, they're going to have to admit that He's right and they're wrong. They don't want to do that. So they refuse to believe what God says about His Son, and they are, in essence, John says, calling God a liar. Because God says, He is Jesus Christ, my Son, the Savior of the world, the answer to your sin. And whenever you refuse Jesus and put Jesus, push Jesus away, you're, in essence, calling God a liar. So you have to decide if you accept what God says about His Son. There's a second decision you need to make. Not only are you willing to accept what God says about His Son, but number two, are you willing to receive what God offers through His Son? He explains it in verse 11. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Verse 11 is one of those verses that you ought to highlight in your Bible. It ought to be underlined. It's the gospel in a nutshell. Now, let me just kind of walk through that verse with you. The first word I want you to notice is the, is the name God. And this is the testimony. God, make sure, make sure you mark that. God has given us eternal life. I want you to link those two words together. God has given us Eternal life. See if this makes sense to you. The only person qualified to offer you eternal life would have to be eternal. The only person who could possibly give you eternal life would have to be eternal. Does that make sense? Hey, hey I don't know anybody. I don't know any man on the planet. I don't know any woman on the planet. It's certainly not your pastor. There is nobody that you know who can offer you eternal life because we are mortal. The only person who could offer you eternal life has to also be eternal. So God, he says, has given us eternal life. Now, the second thing I want you to notice in this verse is the word given. Think about this. How could we possibly obtain eternal life? It would have to be given to us. Again, because we are mere mortals, and because not only are we mere mortals, we are sinful mortals. So how could we sinful mortal people ever receive eternal life? It would have to be given to us. That's the only way we could obtain it. Now, this third part of this nutshell is vitally important. If this God who is eternal is willing to give us that eternal life, 
How do we obtain it? How do we receive it? John is so clear, because it's a gift, it can only be obtained one way. Say this with me. Because it is a gift, it can only be obtained one way. What's that way? He says in verse 11, here's what it is. And this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Uh, now, Pastor, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Time out, Pastor. Time out. Let, let me ask you, Pastor, because I got this friend at work or, or I got this relative. Let, let, let me ask you. What about those people who say, well, you know, we believe in the same God. We just don't agree with you on Jesus. What about them? Verse 12 is the answer. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Well, well what about those people who say that they're, they're spiritual, but they're just not into organized religion? What about them? He who has the Son of, has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Well, what about those who say that they're Baptist? Or they're Catholic, or they're Methodist, or they're Presbyterian, or whatever label you want to put on it. What about them? He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I was thinking how, how funny it would be if we could go back in time and travel back in time and talk to John. And say, John, come on. come on. Just between me and you, John. Let, let me talk for you. Just between me and you. Don't, don't you think probably the Baptists have it right? And John would look at me and say, what are you talking about? Well, you know, I mean, there's other groups, there's other... But don't you think, you know, come on, John, you're probably a Baptist, right? You mean like John the Baptist? No, you know, like the Baptist. And John would say, I, I don't know what you're talking about, but this is what I do know. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. See, it really comes down to a very serious and a very clear decision. Two questions for you today. Will you accept what God says about His Son? What God says about His Son. Will you accept what God says about His Son? And will you receive what God gives through His Son? I want to tell you something. There is no middle ground about Jesus. What do you mean by that? I simply mean this. I'm going to be as clear as I can be. There is no way to God except through Jesus Christ. Look at it one more time. This is verse 11. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. Have you ever wanted to meet somebody that, you know, there's somebody that you didn't know, but you wanted to know them, you wanted to meet them, they're, they're not kind of like in your circle uh, of people that you know. And, you know, the only way, for instance, uh, my, my daughter Lauren wants to meet Tim Tebow. And she is forever asking me, Daddy, you need to find somebody that can introduce me to Tim Tebow. I said, Lauren, I don't know Tim Tebow. Well, find, Daddy, you know a lot of people. You meet a lot of people. Find somebody that knows Tim Tebow. 
I said, Lauren, I don't know those kind of people. They're not in my circle. All right? I don't know people who know Tim Tebow. Although after the service, somebody went out after the service and said, I might know somebody who knows Tim Tebow. <laughs> don't tell Lauren. I don't want to get her hopes up. <laughs> All my life, I've wanted to meet Billy Graham. All of my life, I've wanted to meet Billy Graham. But we don't run in the same circles. The only way that I will ever meet Billy Graham, and it looks like it's probably not going to happen, but the only way that I would ever be able to meet Billy Graham is if somebody who knows Billy Graham would introduce me to him. The only way you're ever going to know God is if somebody who knows God, Jesus, introduces you to him. The only way you can have a relationship with God, Jesus put it this way, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ is the one who introduces us to God. So it comes down to this question. Are you willing to accept what God says about His Son? And are you willing to receive what God offers through His Son? You see, there's two words that can change your life. It's the words, I believe. I believe what God says about His Son. I accept it. I believe what God offers through His Son. I accept by faith His forgiveness, His salvation. I want to end with a verse that Jesus used. Uh, John recorded this in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 5. Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 24. The Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 24. John the Apostle was there that day when Jesus said this statement, and he later wrote it down, and here's what Jesus said. Verse 24, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. crossed over from death to life with two amazing words, I believe. That's why John ended his letter with these words. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I want you to bow your heads with me. I want to speak to you for a moment with your heads bowed. Every head bow, every eye closed. Let me just talk to you for a moment. Do you know that you have eternal life? Is that a settled issue for you? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior? If that's something you say, well, Pastor, I'm still trying to figure that out, or Pastor, I hope so, or Pastor, I'm not there yet, or... Uh, Pastor, I, I don't know Jesus, but I think I might be ready. Your eternal destiny is determined by what you do with Jesus. And the two words that would change your life are those words, I believe.
Father, I believe and accept what You say about Your Son. I believe and receive what You give through Your Son. And when you believe that step of faith, the Bible says you cross over from death to life. I want to give you an opportunity to respond that way today. By faith, and when we give you an opportunity to say, I believe, because I believe, I accept what God says about His Son. Because I believe, I'm receiving by faith what God gives through His Son. Forgiveness, salvation, eternal life. Would you pray this prayer with me? If you'd like to nail that down today, if you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior, if you'd like to know for certain that you know Christ, would you pray this prayer with me? Just pray it from your heart silently. Heavenly Father, I believe what you say about Jesus. And by faith today, I accept what you want to give me through Jesus. I know I'm not worthy. But by faith, I accept it. By faith, I believe it. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And I believe that You offer me salvation and forgiveness and eternal life. And today, I declare my faith in You. Thank You for saving me. Thank You for loving me. From this day forward, I will live by faith in what You've done for me. In Jesus' name. Now, if you've prayed that prayer with me today, I'm not going to ask you to to uh, raise your hands, though that sometimes I do that. I'm going to ask you to do something different. I'm going to ask you to come down front and tell me. I'm going to ask you to, just during the invitation, to respond and come forward and say, Pastor Keith, I prayed with you. I nailed it down. I've asked Jesus. I now believe not my performance, but I now believe Jesus Christ, who God says He is and what God offers through Him. I now believe and I have crossed over from death to life. Come tell me about that. Let me celebrate with you. Father, in Jesus' name, thank You for what You're going to do. Amen.